This is episode number 241 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hey there, welcome to Fearless Presentations. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and my goal is to help you become a fearless and confident speaker and presenter. I was teaching a Fearless Presentations class in Boston a couple of days ago, Hap tip to all of my Boston peeps that were in the class, and one of the class members actually asked me if I still get nervous when I stand up to speak, and it's funny because I used to get that question all the time. But it's been a while since anybody's ever really kind of asked me that. And the answer, by the way, by the way, is it's it's kind of yes and no. Uh, you know, for instance, when I teach a fearless presentations class, I've done that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. So I can pretty much do it in my sleep. I, I, I've seen everything. I've kind of helped people with all kinds of different challenges. And so that's fairly easy for me to do. Um, however, a, a couple of days before I was in Boston, I was actually in Pittsburgh speaking to almost 500 people. And the speech was at the very end of the day, right before they were you know, supposed to be going to you know, the happy hour and all that kind of stuff. So it's that's a really tough time, by the way. If you're not if you're not a professional speaker, if you don't do speaking a lot, that's a really tough time to get people to pay attention and interact and, and that kind of thing. And I, and the session that I was doing was supposed to be very interactive and that kind of thing. So with all that kind of going against me, yeah, I mean, I've done similar activities to that for, for over a decade. So I've been doing that type of speech for, for quite a while. But because I do them less often than some of the other stuff that I do, and because of the different criteria that were in that meeting, yeah, my nervousness was much, much, much higher for that one than normal. So what I kind of told the class members was that the goal really isn't to totally eliminate nervousness, but it's easier to kind of corral the nervousness so that when you speak, you want to be able to perform at a very, very high level without that nervousness interfering with your with your performance. And after I explained that, one of the other participants asked me a follow-up question, different person. And she said, uh, so how do I, how do you, Doug, corral that nervousness myself? So I thought, man, what a great episode. What a great uh, topic for the the next uh, podcast. So this is something really fresh, really new, something that um, that I, I don't really do a lot of because I'm I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit this week and kind of make myself a little vulnerable because I'm going to show you how I got to where I am in business and especially how I got to be a a speaker like I am now. So the goal is to kind of show you that really, if Doug can do this, if I can do this, anybody can succeed in speaking in front of a, a group. So before we get into the content, though, the episode is brought to you by fearlesspresentations.com. So if you're looking for a faster way to reduce public speaking fear or become a more persuasive public speaker, 
Don't miss the two-day classes coming up in cities like Washington, D.C., Miami, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Minneapolis, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Houston, Baltimore, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Orlando, and New York. By the way, we have our full schedule of classes back for the first time, really, since the since the pandemic. And between you and I, we are experiencing a huge demand for seats right now. Uh, so if you want to attend any of those classes that I just mentioned, make sure to go to fearlesspresentations.com and save a seat in that class, uh, the one that you're interested in. Because once those seats are gone, you'll need to wait another couple of months or a few months uh, before for the class to kind of roll around again. So let's get on with today's topic. So the title today is How I Overcame My Fear of Public Speaking and How You Can Do It Too. I mean, just kind of I'm not saying you need to do exactly what I did because some of the things that I did are things that you definitely don't want to do. And I'll kind of caution you on kind of repeating what I did because I was a lot of times when I was trying to get, conquer my fear of public speaking, I was doing it through trial and error. Now you don't have to do that. You can, I can, you can kind of live vicariously through my experience so that you don't have to make the same mistakes that that I made. But that, that is one of the things that happens quite often uh, when I'm teaching a class is, you know, folks will kind of say, do you still get nervous when you speak? And how did you become a pre- professional speaker? And because um, uh, when I tell people that I was nervous when I started, they'll say, well, how did you overcome that fear of public speaking? And obviously the, the first um, couple of questions that they ask yeah, um, you know, do I still get nervous when I speak? Sure. You know, when I deliver big presentations or do something new, I still get nervous from time to time. But the nervousness isn't anywhere close to that public speaking anxiety, that phobia that I had years ago. Uh, the other two questions, though, they've got like a short answer and a long answer. I'm going to give you the short answer first. And then that way, if the short answer is good, then you can just kind of end the, the episode and, and come back and listen in a couple of weeks. But if you want to know all the nitty gritty about the, the the long answer, that's what I'm going to cover, not only for the rest of this week, but also probably in the next episode as well. So I thought it would be, be fun to kind of pull back, uh, you know, back up this week and kind of show you how I overcome, came, I overcame my fear of public speaking. You can also call this episode, you know, how an incredibly shy person beat the odds to become a confident speaker or presenter. So my first formal presentation, again, this is the short answer, right? My first formal presentation in the business world was an absolute disaster, total failure. And it and it really, it actually cost me my, my first career. Um, however, that specific incident was a turning point in my life. It, it was It was horrible when I experienced it. However, that one thing has allowed me to help a hundred thousand or more people. You're talking about millions. If we're talking about people that that listen to the podcast, avoid making the same mistake that that I made. So I hope that my story can help you overcome your public speaking fear as well. Uh, and because if a person like me can become a a, a decent speaker, anybody can do this. Um, now you're going to have to work for it. It's not going to happen by accident. It's not just going to be you listen to a podcast and all of a sudden that that fear is going to go away. But but you'll also have to kind of embrace that fear when you speak in front of the audience. But if you do what I'm going to suggest that you do here, it's it, your the rewards that you're going to experience are going to be phenomenal. So let me give you kind of the short answer, and, and I'm going to put the the episode into kind of life lessons. So this is the life lesson number one. The very first thing that is really critical is that the toughest challenges in your life are often your biggest opportunities for improvement. So I'm going to take you way back to my sophomore year in college. I got my first, first, first big break in business as well as just in life, really, I guess. 
Uh, I was one of only 12 young people, 12 college students that qualified for an internship with a big, huge company, Atlantic Richfield, also known as Arco, Arco Oil and Gas. That summer at Arco, by the way, was phenomenal. I had a blast. I had such a good time. And I, looking back, it was probably the peak of my college career. I mean, by that at that point, I had my I had a scholarship um, at, to college, so they were paying for my my school and everything. Had a nice job working for Atlantic Richfield over the over the summer, and they paid really well for to you know for a young person. Uh, and I also had been playing football at Texas Tech, and I was ex- I expected anyway to make the travel squad in in the fall. So I mean, I was on cloud nine. I mean, my life was kind of really rolling. Uh, at the end of the summer, though, I had to travel to Dallas to give a presentation about that internship, and and also some of the bigwigs from Bakersfield were that worked for Arco were going the vice presidents and that kind of thing were going to be flying in for that meeting, and then a week before that presentation, my boss called me into his office and he kind of told me that because of the economy, Arco was going to be downsizing. He said that the intern positions that used to be permanent positions were actually going to be much tougher to um to get the the next year and he suggested that the the that Dallas presentation that was going to be given in a couple of weeks would be a good way to kind of showcase what I had accomplished at the during the the summer that I was there so I kind of walked out of his office in terror though because he told me when he told before he told me this anyway before he called me into his office I I had my whole future kind of laid out you know I I was one of only 12 students in the entire world who was working for a fortune number 13, I think at the time, number 13 on the fortune 500 list uh, that, that had that internship. And now I realized that if I perform poorly in that presentation, I could lose it all. And, and then the, and as the presentation day approached, as it got closer to the time that I was going to be presenting, I began to experience almost a, a, just a full blown panic attack. So basically I blew that presentation. My palms were sweating profusely. I, I speak pretty fast anyway, but when when I was getting nervous, I speak really, really, really fast. And and I sped through the 15-minute preparate presentation that I prepared so fast that I finished the whole thing in like three and a half minutes. Uh my I mean, basically what was happening was my my flight response had kicked in. You know, they say that you have a fight or flight and my flight response kicked in. And I I just uh, once I ran out of things to say, I just kind of abruptly ended the speech and sat down and I was mortified. I knew that I had an opportunity there and I'd blown that big opportunity. Um, so the the thing that you have to kind of keep in mind, and, and this is where it kind of gets back to, okay, that's the bad side. How did I overcome it? Once you experience something like that, and once you have that that fear of speaking in front of a group, you really have two choices. Choice number one is that you can just kind of sit back and say, eh, "Okay, I'm just not good at that. I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to avoid that at all costs in in the future." Um, choice number two, though, is to work through that process so you get better at it. So um, we 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 want to avoid at all costs mistakes that we make us when because we know that mistakes are bad, right? Mistakes just show us a single way not to do something. So if you use your mistakes as a, as learning experiences, you can grow and you can get better. So I knew I had to become a better public speaker. And since I was a broke college kid, my first step was reading everything in the world I could about 
speaking and stage fright. And, and as I learned more about the process, I slowly began to overcome that, that nervousness, at least a little bit. However, I didn't conquer that speech anxiety entirely until I took my first presentation skills class. Because as I was reading and listening to the audio files with, with those tips and tricks, I still had to put that knowledge into practice. And it was a good starting point, don't get me wrong, but the process took a long time. Every time I tried something new, if I had a success, my confidence grew. However, every time that I tried something and it didn't work fantastically, my nervousness in front of a group actually grew. <laughs> so my comfort zone actually shrank if I tried something that it didn't work. So uh, I, I was kind of on this confidence roller coaster. At times, my confidence would would grow. At other times, my phobia would would grow. This this was happening because I was just relying on my own experience. However, when I got a good coach, I learned from her years of experience. I was able to overcome my my public speaking fear way 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 more quickly because she was able to shorten my learning curve. And, and you can do the same thing. So basically. The absolute, if you're looking for the quickest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear, go out and find a good coach. I mean, obviously, the fearless presentations classes are all over the United States and, and Canada and Europe and that kind of thing. So if if we can help you, by all means, come to one of our classes. If not, find somebody that you trust that can help shorten that learning curve for you. And if you do, it's going to work out really well for you. Now, if you want the longer version I'm going to cover the other. That's the first tip. Anyway, the first tip is that a lot of times those negative things that happen to us are, are, are actually learning experiences and we can learn from them. The other uh, six tips that I'm going to, going to cover are things that I had to go through. I didn't listen to my coach at times and, and there were things that I had to learn on, on my own. And so if you're looking for the longer way, uh, I'm going to give you six other life experiences that will help you kind of not only reduce public speaking fear, but also help you be more successful along the way. So life lesson number two that can help you become a better speaker as well as improve your success pretty dramatically is that speed and quality is much more profitable than just quality alone, right? So um, you're, one of the things that you have to kind of keep in mind is that your past doesn't uh, determine your future. I mean, I grew up in a really real town called Pilarm Creek, Arkansas, a total of maybe 400 people in, in this rural area where I, I grew up. My dad bought a two-room shack that was really falling to pieces when we moved in. And that same year, he started a one-man construction business and he was a house flipper before house flipping kind of became cool. And unlike what you kind of see on the reality TV shows today, the house house flipping in rural, rural I can't even say the word, rural, rural Arkansas wasn't a wealth building activity. Dad would basically buy a condemned house in, in the ghetto and then he would spend six months to a year remodeling this house. And then finally, hopefully, anyway, he would sell the house for a profit. Uh, and really, after owning my own business for over 20 years now, I kind of realized the mistake that my dad made back then. He took too much time on his projects. Since he was such a skilled carpenter, he enjoyed the work. He did everything himself. However, that process took about a year to complete from start to finish. So our family had this really huge windfall all at once when, when a household anyway. And then we had to both fund dad's next project. So buy another house and pay for all of the materials and then also live off of those proceeds for an entire year. So because it took so long, we were so broke. We were so poor. Interestingly, 
it, it this is the first this was the first major kind of public speaking lesson that that I learned and and that's right you know it's it's a valuable public speaking tip too dad was an excellent carpenter and the houses that that he refurbished were exquisite by the way but his business wasn't profitable because of the time that it took so today I see people make this same mistake with speaking skills. They read blogs, they watch YouTube videos, maybe even go to a Toastmasters group or something like that. They do they do that for support. And then all of those sources, they have excellent content. However, just like that, they're trying to do everything by themselves. So as a result, it takes a long, long, long time. So you can shorten the learning curve by living through somebody else's experience. Life lesson number three is that you want to look for ways to make fearful situations less fearful. And interestingly, I didn't learn this lesson from public speaking, although I applied it in my public speaking career years and years and years later. This was actually occurred in eh, probably kindergarten, first grade, so really, really early. Uh, my my kindergarten year in elementary school, the my private school that my mom and dad spent a ton of money to, to uh, put put me in and my sister into had a candy drive. So you probably have done this where, you know, you go out door to door and sell candy and that kind of thing. And we were told that if you just sold a case, one single case of these chocolate bars, you'd get your name put into a hat. And at the end of the drive, the principal would draw three names out of the hat. The first person's name that got drawn would get $25. The next person whose name was drawn would get 50. And the third would get $100 cash, right? So that was like 175 bucks up for grabs just by going and selling a, a, a up to, to selling a, a case of candy, right? So I took my candy, um, my case of candy out door to door. So kindergarten, my mom went with me and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I went to all the neighbors. It was terrifying, by the way. I was terrified to go knock on somebody's door that I didn't know and ask them if they wanted to buy something from me. I, I was nervous just speaking to adults in general. Like I said, I'm a pretty shy person anyway, but asking them to buy something from me while interrupting their dinner, that was terrifying. So it took me an entire month and I got a lot of no's, but I sold my entire case of candy and I got my name put into the hat. And on the day of the drawing, I was so nervous. Uh, the principal actually drew the first name and the $25 winner was my best friend, Barry. Also a kindergartner, right? Best friend. He got the $25 and I was kind of happy for him, but also a little disappointed that I didn't win, but that's okay because the big ones are coming up. So the principal then pulled out the $50 name, also Barry. <laughs> so it was like, wait, 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 wait. At that point, it kind of hit me. I'm like, Wait a minute, how did he win both of those? What the heck is going on here? Because I was confused. I thought we could only sell one case, right? Uh, by the way, I didn't want to sell any more than one case because that first case was terrifying. But uh, how is this possible? I assume that you could just sell one case. No one told me that you could sell more cases and get your name entered into the drawing more times. And then the principal drew the third name. It was Barry as well. So basically, turns out that Barry, actually Barry's, parents, you know, they, they, he and Barry and his parents actually sold over 50 cases of candy in the time that it took me to sell one case. So he walked out with 175 bucks in cash as a five-year-old or whatever we were at the, at the time. Right. So how, what in the heck does Barry win in a bunch of money and Doug screwing up his first uh, sales gig <laughs> have to do with, with public speaking? Well, early successes or failures actually start to create patterns in our lives. And if you identify those patterns, you can interrupt them and do something either positive or negative. So, um, so the, I, I learned 
that selling was a very well-compensated profession at the age of five because Barry went out, did a little bit of selling, and he got 175 bucks, and I had zero, right? So the next year, uh, my when my little brother, who was in kindergarten at the, at the time, uh, we, he and I actually came up with a plan. So here we are, first first and first year, uh, first grader and a and a kindergartner, and we came up with a plan because I saw what Barry did, and and fortunately Barry had, Barry had transferred to a new school, uh, and so the door was wide open for us. We decided instead of going door to door like everybody else was doing, especially door to door to the poorest part of Arkansas, where nobody wanted to buy anything or probably couldn't, right? Um, we knew that hundreds of people stopped by this liquor store, Sodi's liquor store. By the way, I put a picture up on on the the show notes for this, so you can kind of see. This is a real place in Pilar, Arkansas. There's probably like one person or two people that know where the heck this is that are listening right now, going, "Oh my God." Doug grew up out in that crap hole, right? Um, but it, but anyway, the reason why we chose the liquor store because this the store the the store was only about a hundred yards or so from our front door, <laughs> so we lived down the middle of nowhere, only commerce anywhere. But what we did was we stood outside of that store and we asked every person that walked into the store to buy candy from us. And just as an FYI, I was I was way less nervous because I wasn't interrupting somebody's dinner. And in fact, the customers often would make eye contact with us before we'd actually say anything to them. And they would kind of smile once they realized what we were doing, you know, as we had our box of candy and that kind of thing. We sold out our first day. And so my brother and I, we did this every day for weeks and we didn't always sell out, but we sold more candy than, you know, that year than anybody else in, in the entire school. Um, but, but And we got great prizes for it too. Now, I guess they learned their lesson because we didn't get the cash prize, but we got some really cool stuff. But most people who are nervous about something try to either eliminate that fear by avoiding the skill entirely. You know, they'll say something like, well, if I don't speak, I won't be nervous, right? Successful people, though, they look for ways to reduce that nervousness altogether. Uh, we, we may find ways to make uncomfortable things more comfortable and then we're able to do the things that others aren't willing to do. So let's do one more of these this week, uh, one more life lesson. And then when we come back next week, I'm going to show you how a lot of this stuff applies in public speaking and get to more of the real public speaking tips and and the process that I went through that, that really, really helped. So life lesson number four, the fourth thing that I kind of learned is that obstacles that you overcome often become significant strengths for you. So the elementary school that I went to had kind of two distinct groups. There were the the preppy kids who, you know, lived around the golf course. And then there were the kids like me who were bussed in to the, the elementary school and the planned community and that kind of thing. So we had to ride the bus, you know, for 30 minutes to, to kind of get there every morning. So we were from the more poorer, poorer area anyway. And it was it was kind of hard to fit in. You know, and especially because I was kind of the shy, skinny kid and I got picked on a lot. My clothes were kind of shabby, secondhand a lot of times. I had buck teeth. In addition, I was also kind of so small that the other kids kind of towered over me. Well, one day at, at recess, this kid named Ken, Ken, now Ken, Ken, by the way, he was bigger than I was, but the main reason why he was bigger than I was is because he got 
he got put back a year. So basically this was, I think this was in the fourth grade and he was supposed to be a fifth grader anyway. Um, so, so we're at recess We're you know, we're kind of scuffling and then he wrestled me down in the schoolyard. I tried to fight back, but before long, his size and strength kind of overcame me. He pinned my shoulders to the ground, just started punching me in the, in the face over and over, over. There was nothing I could do. Eventually, thank God, he just got tired because I couldn't stop him and nobody grabbed him and pulled him off of me or anything like that. So apparently he just kind of got tired and, and I was left on the ground with, you know, this bloody mess and everything. And it's when I looked around, it seemed like the whole school was watching me. It was one of the most mortifying moments in my entire life. But this was one of those defining moments, though, because I had a choice, just like what we talked about earlier about the speech that I gave. I I, I could continue being the shy, skinny kid and keep getting picked on or. I could make the decision that my current situation didn't have to define who I was. So I decided that I didn't want to be the skinny kid anymore. So while other kids were becoming ex- experts at like Atari, that's what was popular at the time. This is back before Nintendo even. So for those of you who are kind of in your in your 40s, you're like, oh, my God, what the heck is an Atari? So I convinced my dad to loan me money to go buy a weightlifting center. I got it at like a yard sale. but. You know, it was pretty cheap and everything, but he loaned me the money and I paid him back and I worked out every day. So by the time I entered the eighth grade, my body had changed. It had changed pretty significantly. So instead of skinny now, I was lean and stocky. <laughs> I began to, I got to a point where I loved my workouts because I, I could see that I was, I was different than what I was, you know, two years prior to that. So although I didn't kind of realize it then, this was actually the first phase of how I overcame my my fear of public speaking because once you make the decision the work isn't work anymore. Because because the school that I went to in like junior high school it was kind of a combined junior and senior high school so there were basically I think 7th through 12th grade and one day I'm in the lunchroom and I saw this this high school guy wearing a t-shirt that said 200 pound club on it it was a guy a, guy, a cartoon of a guy lifting lifting bench pressing. And it turns out that the football coaches gave T-shirts out to guys who could bench press 200 pounds. And they also had another one for 250 pounds and 300 pounds. And the whole gym went nuts when at the age of 13, I became the youngest person in that school to join the 200-pound club. And then less than a year later, I joined the 250-pound club. So when I was 15, my dad got this fantastic job in Texas and at my new school, nobody, everybody knew me at the at at the old school, and they remembered me as being the skinny kid, even though I had the T-shirt to prove that I wasn't the skinny kid. So my dad moved to Texas, and nobody at that new school knew that I was the tiny, small, skinny, buck-tooth kid that ever that I grew that everybody kind of saw when I when I was growing up. My my permanent teeth had gotten a little straighter, um, and then they than my baby teeth anyway. And so I was the new kid without a history. I no longer, no longer was I the third string bench warmer on the seventh grade football team or the eighth grade football team. Suddenly I was the stocky, strong kid who got things done. So the coaches on my new football team loved me because I worked harder than anybody else that was there. And actually my senior year, 
uh, Spike Dykes, who at the time was the head coach of the Texas Tech Red Raiders, uh, was the guest speaker at our sports banquet or football banquet at the end of the year. And and at the end of that night, uh, one of my coaches, my strength coach, actually introduced me to to Coach Dykes. And and Coach Dykes, you know, kind of talked to me for a few minutes. And he said, son, I can't give you a scholarship because, you know, I, I really hadn't developed that much yet uh, as a as a player. But he said, hey, if I if if he said, if you walk on and prove yourself, I'll make sure you get a good education. And that's really that's all I needed. And and I was a Red Raider. So in essence, I own my education and really my my career, my 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 success in business and my success as a as a speech coach to a punk kid in the fifth grade who beat the crap out of me because that huge obstacle became the source of a big strength in my life. So if you have had a situation where you've gotten up in front of a group and it hadn't worked out as well, that does not have to define you. You can improve. You can get better and you can use that as the catalyst to get you to the next level. And next week, I'm going to give you a few additional tips to kind of show you how to do that. So we'll see you next week on the Fearless Presentations Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.